0: Chapter 2. Uh, what is a budget anyway? Uh, let me start by making a provocative statement. I think budgets are the victim of prejudice. Everybody hates them, but most people who hate them don't really know them. They've only uh, heard budgets talked about badly, and they've embraced the, me- the negative sentiment as if it was their own. Uh, they hear these uh, simplistic caricatures of a budget, and they deride them in order to feel better about their budgetless life. They make jokes about budgets just to reinforce how absurd of an idea it is to be a slave to a piece of paper. Um, and until we remove this prejudice about budgets, all of the lies that we covered in chapter one. All of those exaggerations and things that we tend to miss are going to be much stronger. so here's what I would ask of you. I would ask you to think of a budget uh, like a friend or a coworker, uh, that on their first day uh, at the new office, somebody came to you and they told you a lie about this person. You heard that lie, you believed that lie, and you used that lie to filter everything that you thought about that person. And then at some point later, you came to realize that that lie wasn't true. And so you begin to try to get to know that person for who they really are and remove all of those biases of months or maybe years of believing that lie. That's what I want us to do in chapter 2. Because here's my goal. My goal is not just to begrudgingly get you to make a budget. My goal is much bigger than that, is to make you to long for a budget as if it were a good and precious thing. Yet, because here's my contention, if we approach budgeting out of this sense of duty, out of this sense of guilt, out of this sense of shame, then we have this document that is tied to most everything that we do as a married couple. And if every time we see that document, our emotional attachment is one of guilt and shame, then that is going to be a point of erosion and division within our marriage. And more than that, that is not how the gospel motivates us. If we're going to have unity as a married couple, we must be motivated in gospel-centered ways. And the gospel holds up the beauty of, of God and His wisdom and the way of life that He created for us. And He says, it is good, it is worthy, it is beautiful. Pursue it! And that is the way we must think about finances and budgets if this is ever going to be something that we do long term. And to move us in that direction, I want us to look at another quote from John Henderson. He says, in order for a couple to deal faithfully with the resources that God has entrusted into their hands... They must adopt a shared mission in life. This will not tell you exactly where every penny ought to be spent, which couch to buy, or exactly where to live and what to eat. But it will orient your hearts towards God in your approach to life and join you together in such a way that the conversations about stewardship become a joy rather than a source of strife. And I want us to look at a few things that a budget is. Kind of a philosophy of what a budget is. A budget is the numerical expression of a family's mission and priorities. A budget is where we say, this is what we're about. This is what we want to accomplish. This is what will mean that our life has been well spent. And I think too often when it comes in terms of thinking of the family mission and values, we only think in terms of the tithe that first 10% that we give at the beginning of every check, and we think that covers the family missions. And when we do that, we devalue all of our other family spending. Uh, Now, I'm not necessarily going to ask you to go into your budget and color-code it for love God, love each other, and love the world. Uh, But I do think when we look at our budget we need to begin to see those facets in the various line items within our budget. That our health insurance is the way that we love each other to make sure that we are well cared for in a time of crisis. Our grocery bill can be a way that we love our world when we have our neighbors over for dinner. Our mortgage is a way that we can love God by hosting a small group within our house and planting a missional community within our neighborhood to be a part of God's strategic advancement to reaching those that we have the closest geographical vicinity to. We need to think about our budget in terms of our family missions and values. Um, Another thing that a budget is, A budget is a family's prayerful conviction regarding God's will for their resources. When you put numbers to a piece of paper, you are saying, we believe that these numbers represent God's will for our family. Now, oftentimes, as a single person, before we got married, uh, our thoughts towards budgeting was this. If it's not bad, it's Okay. As long as I don't spend more than I have and what I'm spending on isn't bad, then I would have this greater sense of liberty about my finances. Um, But as we talked about in chapter 1, the corporate nature of a marriage, the fact that we have two people spending out of one account, says that we have to begin to think about God's will, not just individually, um, but as a joint we. Uh, That is part of what it means to be one flesh, that we begin to think of God's will as a couple and as a family. And a place where we begin to see that happen is as we make our budget. Now, another thing that a budget is, a budget is a measure of what we believe is worth living for. We live in an economy, and the basic principles of our economy is this. We trade hours for dollars, and dollars for stuff. Uh, and we get education and credentials and experience so that we can trade our hours for even more dollars so that we can get even more stuff. That's the basic principle of our economy. But what we have to realize is all that we ever spend is our life. That's what makes spending an act of worship. Because I am spending me, I am saying this is worth living for. Let me give you just a couple of uh, very tangible examples for that. Uh, let's say for a moment, uh, I go on a date with my wife, and I make, at my job, $10 an hour. And we go on a two-hour date, and on that date, we spend $30 for dinner and whatever else we do. What I have just said is that that date was worth five hours of my life. I have invested five hours of me in that time that I spent with my wife and said that was worth this portion of my life because I spent the three hours I spent making those $30 and the two hours I actually spent with her. Another example. Let's say for a moment I make $4,000 a month and I choose to give to advance the cause of missions to go to the ends of the earth to reach unreached peoples. At that point, I have invested one week of my life in making the gospel known in places where it is not heard or rarely heard. Because I have said that is worth my time. And when I spend my money, I am spending my life. And hopefully when we sit down to a budget and we start to look at the numbers, and we say yes to some things, and we say no or cut other things, and we realize that we're spending our life, this makes that process easier. Because we're not saying, do I deserve this or not deserve this? We are saying, is this worth living for? When I get to the end of my days, well, I look back and say, this was a good investment of my life. Because I want my expenses to be things that I can be proud of and say, yes, this represents the passion of my heart. Um, Now, another quote uh, from Ron Blue that I found in Dennis Rainey's book, Preparing for Marriage. He says, Stewardship is the management of God's resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. So another thing that a budget is, a budget is a tangible recognition that we are only a steward of the life that God has blessed us with. As we create a budget, one of the things that we'll quickly realize is that it is God who gives us life and health and the abilities necessary to earn money. And we are stewarding those things uh, for His glory and our joy. But as we think about being stewards, which means we have been giving something For a distinct purpose, and it is the will of the person who gave it to us that determines the purpose for which we use it. As we think about being stewards of our money and life, there's a principle that begins to emerge from that that I think helps us immensely with managing our finances. And it's this God's will fits within God's provision. Whatever it is that God wants me to accomplish will fit within what God gives me to do that task. And so again, when we think about having a 168-hour week and I've got 200 hours worth of good stuff that I want to do, I can rest in the fact that God's will fits within a 160-hour week because God is fair. And God cares for me as His child. He is not an angry employer just trying to drive and get everything out of me that He can In the same way, whatever my bring home income is, God's will for me and my family will fit within that. And so I should begin as I think and pray through what God's will is for my family, thinking as a steward and recognizing that God's will will fit within that. Now another quote. uh, This one from Dennis Rainey. He says, How a person handles his money reveals much about his character, his desires, his priorities, and his relationship with God. Put two people together in marriage and you can see that financial discussions are really spiritual discussions. And here's a principle that I would bring out uh, that I think helps us see this very clearly. A A budget is a barometer for how we engage in our closest life and relationships. We tend to treat... Our closest relationships in the same way that we treat our money. Think it through with me. If I am fearful with my money, then I will tend to be fearful in my closest relationships. If I am controlling with my money, I will tend to be controlling in my closest and most personal relationships. If I'm just kind of willy nilly not paying that much attention with my money, then chances are, in my closest and most personal relationships, I will be one who has a hard time following through on my, on my commitments. And this makes sense uh, in light of what Jesus said about money in Matthew 6:21. He said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because we tend to treat uh, the things that we care about most: money and people, the same way. Because the control center for both is the same. It's our heart. It's our priorities, our beliefs, our values, our insecurities, our goals, uh, our life dreams. Uh, That is what dictates both finances and relationships. And there's a point of encouragement here. Because oftentimes when people come in and they recognize that I'm being very fearful both with my money and with my relationships or I'm being controlling or I'm just not one who commits and follows through to things. And if they only see that in the area of the relationships, then that seems to be so subjective. The moments of interaction, it's hard to read what should and shouldn't be done, and I can only look back in retrospect and go, oh man, I wish I'd done that differently. And there seems to be no way to grab a hold of and train their instincts. But when we see this connection between finances and relationships, all of a sudden we find that finances are very tangible. We measure them in numbers. They come with, them, they come with receipts We can track them monthly in a budgeting form where we can begin to train our heart to respond with faith and hope and generosity and wisdom in the area of how we do our finances and let that bleed over into how we manage our relationships. One more thing that a budget is that we'll talk about. A budget is an instrument for harnessing the untamed power of our heart's passion. Think about it this way, the words I want, uh, that has been the driving force behind invention and every economy since the beginning of mankind. The things that we want drive us to do great things. Every invention came from the fact that we wanted something that didn't exist and being made in the image of God and having the ability to think outside of what currently exists. We're able to make something like that and bless everyone around us. Marketing and economy is based upon this driving desire of I want. These words shape culture and history as much as anything else. And they also shape our budgets. And our budgets can begin to affect those. And here's where we realize that our hearts need to be tamed, but they don't need to be weakened. Let me give you this illustration. A tamed horse is not weaker uh, than an untamed horse. Uh, An untamed horse is really only good for about one thing. It can rear up on its back legs on a mountainside. We can take its picture, and it looks good above our couch. But that's about all you can do with a wild horse. A tamed horse is just as powerful, but you can take the power of that horse, you can harness it, you can put it in a given direction, and you can accomplish something significant. Similarly, the tamed human heart that has been brought in submission to God's will is not less powerful than the untamed heart. It's just that the tamed heart can be focused in a particular direction for which God created that heart and gave that person abilities and interests and passions and talents, and it can be focused to accomplish great things that the untamed heart would just nickel and dime and distract itself to death. And we have to begin to see that as good and desirable. And so hopefully at this point, I've brought you to a point where you can say something like this. I want this. A budget is good. It is a blessing. I didn't see it before. I thought badly about it. I had all of those prejudices that you talk about with budget, but I want it. I think this can be great for my marriage. I think this can be great for my family. I think this can be great for my walk with God. Now, just tell me how. And if I've been successful at bringing you to that point, I want to give you just three steps in preparing to make a budget. And as we do that, I want us to hear from John Henderson again, telling us how to prepare for a budget. He says, Assuming a sensible standard of living represents another way we steward God's creation well. Being wise with money and material things, I believe, is not very complicated. It is hard, uh, but not complicated. It requires a commitment to one very simple guideline. Wisely spend less money than you possess. Okay, how do we get there? First step I would give you is this. Familiarize yourself with the categories that we're going to use in a budget. If we're not familiar with the document that we use... We're not going to use it for long. We're going to come to it. It's going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to feel intimidated. It's just, it's going to feel all icky. We don't want to do this anyway. There's more fun things we could be doing. And we're going to walk away from it. And so the first thing I want to do is to familiarize you with the categories that we're going to use in creating a budget so that when you sit down and look at it, it feels natural, it feels intuitive, it feels like home, and you'll do it. We're going to use four main categories. Uh, And under those categories, we'll place our expenses. Um, The first category is this, fixed necessities. Those things that cost the same each and every month, they're fixed. The price is going to be the same uh, and are essential for the family. So again, when you think about this, your rent or mortgage It's the same payment every month. Shelter is a necessity. Those would be the kinds of things that we would put under fixed necessity. Now, at this point, I would also say your debt payments go here. You have a minimum monthly balance uh, that is a fixed amount. We're going to advise you to pay over that, but the minimum monthly balance is a fixed amount. You have committed to paying that. It's your moral obligation, and we want to get rid of that as quick as we can, but those are going to go under fixed necessities. Second category Variable necessities. Those things that uh, the cost varies each month, but we got to have them. Groceries. uh, Gasoline for the car. Uh, We can't tell you exactly what that's going to be every month because the price of gas is going to go up and down a lot. Uh, What things cost at the grocery and whether we're on vacation is going to affect how much we spend at the grocery. It's not going to be the same every month, uh, but they're things that we have to have. So fixed necessity, variable necessity. Uh, third category, fixed luxury. Those things that cost the same each and every month um, and are nice but not essential. Um, so your cable bill, or your cell phone package, those things that have a fixed amount, uh, we don't have to have them but they're nice. A gym membership, something like that. Third category, variable, or fourth category, variable luxury. Those things for which the cost varies each month They're nice, but not essential. Going out to eat, uh, entertainment, things like that. Those are things that go in this category. And by creating that structure where we move from the top of the budget to the bottom, one of the things that we've done is we've just arranged our budget in such a way that when we're having a tight month or we're being uh, very disciplined in order to retire debt, it is easiest to cut from the bottom to the top. Uh, Variable uh, luxuries... Uh, We can cut back on going out to eat. We can do less entertainment. And it doesn't affect our lifestyle all that radically. If you begin to change your fixed necessities and you get a different rent rate or a different mortgage, that's going to affect your life a lot. And as you look at it, this just helps you feel that sense of priority that each expense ought to have. And so the first thing, the first step, in preparing to do a budget is to familiarize yourself with the categories. The second thing you need to do is identify income. It, and as you identify income, I'm going to encourage you to think in terms of three types of income. Uh, there is regular income. You can count on it coming in in almost the exact same amount at the exact same time every month. This is the most stable form of income if you have uh, regular income that is the majority part of your household income, this should be what you do your monthly operating budget on. Uh, second form of income to think about is irregular income. You know, what are your sporadic or commission-based income? You know, what kind of side jobs do you have that you do regularly, that you... You know, you don't always know when that's going to come up, but you do it enough that, okay, this is, I need to think about this in terms of my budget. If you're commission-based, uh, then your primary income would be an irregular income. The third type of income is your potential income. Opportunities that were available to you if you needed to retire debt or save for a particular expense. And even here, I want you to hear a shift in mindset. When we start talking about potential income, that is how we think about things we want but we can't afford. We don't think in terms of how much down and how much a month. Do I have enough credit? Can I get a second mortgage on my house? No. We begin to say, what are the forms of potential income that I could pursue in order to earn and save that money so that I could have it in place and I could purchase that with money that I already had? So in terms of preparing for a budget, we familiarize ourselves with the categories, we identify areas of uh, potential, or areas of income, and then third, we estimate our expenses. uh, And we begin to, uh, the line items under each of those four headings, we begin to decide where we're going to put them. And let me just help you kind of gauge your expectations for this. When the normal family sets down, and they think through their fixed necessity and variable necessity and tithe. That is usually going to comprise 75 to 80% of their household budget. That's if they are budgeting wisely. And so if we take all of our fixed necessity, variable necessity, and our tithe, and we put that together, and we make $4,000 a month, that means that about $3,000, maybe a little more, is going to go just to meet the necessities of our household. That's if we have budgeted wisely. If we've got a bunch of debt that we shouldn't have, that percentage is going to be larger. Now you ask me, Brad, why are you telling me this? Because oftentimes our expectations for our income are just exaggerated to what it's actually going to provide. We think, I make four thousand dollars a month, I should have four thousand dollars worth of fun. That's unrealistic. If I make four thousand dollars a month, and I spend my money wisely, then I'm going to have 1000 to $750 worth of spending that I can put towards uh, fixed luxury and variable luxury spending. Now, here's another principle. Our contentment should be found in our necessary spending. Because contentment is going to be huge as we talk about finances. When I say, what is it? What level of living should just give me a contentment in my soul? It is those things that are covered by my fixed necessity and variable necessity spending. Here's another piece of advice as you begin to go through and you uh, estimate what you're going to give in each of these areas. My recommendation is that there is balance uh, between uh, your fixed luxury and variable luxury spending. It doesn't have to be the exact same amount for both, but they need to be in proportion to one another. If all of your luxury spending is fixed, your budget's going to feel like a straitjacket. And at that point, you'll either resent it or you'll break it. If all of the fund spending you plan to do, you've already allocated before the month begins, in memberships and um, you know your cell phone bill and all your little toys that you have. If all of that's allocated before the month begins in your uh, fixed luxury spending and you can't make any decisions during the month, most people really don't enjoy that. But at the same time, if all of your luxury spending is uh, variable, it's unlikely it will be balanced and there will begin to be competition between the members of your household. Because we know there are so many dollars to be spent this month and whoever spends them first gets to have the fun. And so we want in our fixed luxury spending something that makes sure it representatively balances the joys of our family. And then with our variable expenses, we want enough there that there's freedom to do some things that we enjoy. Now as you begin to go through and you estimate what's going to go into each of these categories, uh, initially you're probably going to have a negative experience. It's going to feel like um, you're getting a pay cut because things that you may have been saying yes to that you couldn't afford, you're going to have to begin to say no to. Uh, But trust me on this. Once you begin to do that, and you begin to see that you're spending on the things that really matter to you, and you begin to go through what we're going to advise to you, it's going to feel like you get an incredible pay increase because the things that you spend on, you're not going to nickel and dime yourself in inconsequential spending that you think none of this really matters. I'm not getting near as much joy as I want from this. When you begin to become intentional with your budget and you can invest in the things that really matter, it's going to feel not only like a pay increase, it is going to feel like a very satisfying purposeful pay increase. So one more thought here uh, from David Platt. He says, in our quest for the extraordinary, we often overlook the importance of the ordinary. And I'm proposing that a radical lifestyle actually begins with an extraordinary commitment to ordinary practices, like having a budget, uh, that have marked Christians who have affected the world throughout history. Here is one final definition of a budget. A budget is is a gloriously mundane document. It's glorious in its effects. It shapes our life, it tames our heart, and it protects us from a myriad of dangers that we don't, often don't even know exist. And it's a mundane document because it seems very common. If we're honest, it's a little boring, and it's hard to perceive its benefits. If I could create a parallel to help us see what we're going after here. It's often the way that we try to teach and instruct our children. There are so many times when I'm teaching my children and I'm trying to get them to do something in order to protect them from a danger that they don't see and they don't understand. Just recently I was walking down Uh, a steep hillside, actually a mountain, with my youngest son. And he thought it was great that he could run and go really fast as he ran down the mountain. And I would say, son, please don't run down the mountain because it was on a paved path. And I would tell him, please, don't do that because you're going to fall forward. That momentum is going to bust your nose and elbows. And this whole experience that we're having is going to get ruined by that. And he didn't believe me. Not because he thought I was lying. Just because... He had not yet experienced wiping out while running downhill and gravity was no longer his friend. Yet, um, this is where having a budget is like so many of the other obediences that we have with God. It's, scripture calls us God's children for a reason. Because we tend to respond to God in the same way that my child responded to me. He tells us there are things that are good for us. And we look at Him in this state of disbelief, bewilderment, like, really, do we need to do this? And my call to you in the area of budgeting and every other area to which Scripture speaks is to embrace the role of being God's child. To trust Him as your Father. To know that what He has for you is best. And that he is protecting you and me from dangers that we don't necessarily see or perceive. And we may never know if we obey him. But one of the joys of the life, one of the comforts of being his child, is to get to experience that protection. Uh, And so may we do that in our area of finances and every other area of scripture that we read.